This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 19, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and the MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New features for this year include dramatic 3D ballpark and player improvements, an all-new tournament mode, allowing for infinite combinations, all new scouting systems, significant AI adjustments based on the latest trends, and so much more. Even better, if you order now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to OOTP Developments and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout. Once again, just go to OOTPDevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout for a special discount that helps support the Sleeper and the Bust. Thanks. Welcome to episode 609 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, October 23rd, and I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo, and I got an exciting one today. I mean, I think they're all exciting. That's why I make them. I I hope I never put together a podcast and say, you know what, today's episode sucks. You shouldn't even listen to it. Now, some of you may think that the episode ends up being like that, but I never set out to do that. So of course I've got an exciting one, but I'll probably still end up saying stuff like that. No, I'm, I'm particularly excited though. Maybe maybe the excitement level is uh, just a, a bit higher in comparison to maybe some other days because of the content at hand. And it's because we're talking top 100 starters. I officially released my rankings, my first run of the offseason rankings, uh, running 100 deep. Tier cutoffs, uh, you can see, as as noted by the blue lines ac- across a handful of players, I maybe should have made some some di- different delineations there. I'm kind of looking at it now. I'm like, ah, maybe I would get that. It's not the end of the world, though, right? Because we're just getting that first run out there. I want to talk about uh, a whole bunch of guys. So uh, I'm also going to do some stuff where uh, I'm going to write about the guys who just missed because there are more globs this year, y'all. Uh, I, I think the globs are, are getting even bigger. And I, I got a comment. I'm going to address it right away, okay? Because I got a comment that said, shouldn't you be breaking down the glob? The glob seems like complacency to me. Okay. At f- like at face value, I kind of understand what, what, what that person's going for because I do you know, talk about how there's a glob and that, okay, a guy rated 66th could reasonably be 40th or whatever. That isn't to shirk responsibility or not commit to anything. The the order I put them in is how I like them. That is me doing my work. I go through and I make assessments and that's why I put them there. The reason I, I highlight the glob and and point out just how close the, the, the talent gaps are is because I'm not going to vehemently argue that that 62 and and 44 are that different. For example, that would be uh, Matthew Boyd and Kyle Freeland, and that's just to highlight the 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 pool as it is right now. Not to you know be be non-committal about things. I'm taking Kyle Freeland over Matthew Boyd, but if you were to say to me that you think that they should be flipped and that would feel like a major change, 
I don't think it is. And I think that's what's different about today's landscape than it was five, six, seven, ten years ago. When I and maybe I'm wrong on that part, by the way. Maybe they will, there were similar talent pools. I don't think so. Maybe I could do some off-season research where I go back to some uh, SP guides from from past years and see. Okay, you know how how deep, uh, you know how disparate were the the talent gaps. I just think they're closer these days with pitching getting so much better, with it being such a strikeout heavy league. And, and that's why I highlight the guab and all that sort of stuff. So I, I wanted to address that because I, I thought it was uh, a, a comment worthy of, of at least some acknowledgement, even though I don't really agree with the premise, the idea. And, and my, my response was, I mean, that's what the rankings and the bulk of my articles do. I, I, I mostly focus on pitchers in my articles. I'm trying to break it down and discuss why I have – you know, David Price, where I do over Mike Fultonevich or, or whomever, whatever the, the, the discrepancy is between two players. So anyway, let's, uh, let's kind of dive in here and, and talk about some things, uh, just kind of free flowing here, uh, as, as the thoughts pop off, give you the top five right off the top. Scherzer, Sale, DeGrom, Verlander, Kershaw did get some comments about Sale and DeGrom concerns about or excuse me Sale and Kershaw concerns about their velocity drops are you still confident in them I am still confident in both um obviously I put them top 5 somebody said that they couldn't really take Sale over Verlander <laughs> you don't have to sell me on that I still love Verlander and because I have him for and I think a lot of folks probably even have him 6 7 area in terms of where he'll go in a lot of drafts that means I'm down to take him. I'm going to be taking Verlander and, and getting my ace at a little bit of a discount by comparison. I know he's older, uh, and that definitely scares folks. You, you don't want to be caught holding the hot potato on a on a 36-year-old, and then you say, oh, well, should have seen it coming. No, you. I mean, no, you shouldn't. Outside of the age, there are no real issues with Verlander. Uh, his home run rate is still a bit high. It kind of always was. Like that was the thing about Verlander throughout his career, even on on the Tigers uh, in the midst of his prime. His home run rate never jumped over 1.0 until 2016, but it was still, you know, uh, 0.8, 0.75, sometimes 0.9 because he would give up solo shots because he doesn't give in. And that's something I talk about with different guys. They don't give in and, and walk somebody to let an inning keep going. They say, you know what, I'm going to challenge this guy. Sometimes it's a clown at the bottom of the order. Sometimes it's it's the, the stud. But it, that's a little bit of, of the pitching to the score thing that I know makes people roll their eyes and, and they, don't, they don't mess with it at all. I think it can be a crutch that you don't want to overly rely on as as you know the reason of somebody's ERA being too high, particularly I think Jack Morris is the one who most gets discussed with regards to that. But there is a way to go through the lineup where you say it is 5-1 in the seventh inning here, and I have a 3-1 count on this guy. I'm going to challenge him, and if he can beat me, it is 5-2, to two, and if there's still two outs, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get the next guy. But more often than not, I'm going to beat him because I'm just in freaking Verlander. And so here, here's 96, top of the zone. Can you do anything with it? Ah, clipped me. Got it. Home run. Five to two. Get the next guy out, out of the inning. You know, give up an extra run here and there. But 
in the grand scheme, what does it matter? He's a 339 career ERA guy. He had a 252 this, this year. So the home runs are about the only thing that stands out on his profile. He's been at 1 1.19, 1.18, 1 1.18. Just round it. It's 1.2 each of the last three years for Verlander. And he's going to be 36. The 36 is going to scare folks. He's an absolute stud. I have no reservations about him. I'm not particularly concerned about Sale or Kershaw either. That's why they are still top five. Um, there was also some pushback on Snell asking why he was 11 behind the likes of namely it was Thor at nine and Severino at 10 that got mentioned. I mean, I don't want, I'm not going to go too deep on this because I, I tell you guys not to get too hung up on the number, particularly when it's a, a couple, a couple ticks. So when you're talking nine, 10, 11, uh, fine. You know, I'm totally cool with you saying I'd rather have. Uh, Snell in this instance over Severino and Thor. I just happened to go uh, to go those two over Snell. I th I would say mainly because it it really is just the one elite year from Snell. I know he had a good finish to seventeen. The final I think two months were really strong, and he was better than both of them this year by by a good margin. Uh, but I'm st I'm still leaning toward them. But I mean it's it's razor. It's razor thin, the margins that we're talking about here. And if you look, you know, in the midst of a draft, like there's no real age separation. Snell's 25, Thor's 25, Severino's 24. If anything, you could maybe put Severino 11 and then Snell 9, 10, however you want. Snell, Severino 9, 10, however you liked them because of some of the injury issues that Thor's had. I could probably get behind that and maybe that's an adjustment I'll make. Uh, even though I had him 9 coming in. Also, by the way, with the season uh, you know just ending, I have not done a deep dive on everybody. Um, you know, I, d I did look at some numbers on certain guys where I was trying to move them. Some guys that broke out this year or broke down this year, trying to move them up or down uh, relative to their performance. But I have not done full deep dives on everybody. So there's going to be changes. But uh, I understand. I understand the Snellbackers. I don't think it's just recency bias. So I would say I don't want to push back too much and say, no, nah, you can't have them. You can't have him above those two. You absolutely can. I think you can get Snell as high as seven or eight, really, if you, if you really want to. Uh, by the way, it's, it's uh, Nola and Cole and Kluber that are six, seven, eight for me. Um, and I wouldn't take any of them. Uh, I wouldn't take Snell over any of them. But then once you get to that nine marker, I can start to look at Snell. Um, all right, so moving on. I'm not going to review all 100 here. We're, we're not going to have a nine-hour podcast, and, and I'm not going to count them all down. You can definitely go look, leave comments. I love the comments. This is one of my favorite things of posting is you guys put in the comments, and we, we're batting things back and forth about who didn't get included or, you know, especially if you have a, like, a, like a tier jump on somebody. You know, you, you I, mean, I know the Tower Glass now backers are still out there. They see him at 69. Nice. And they're thinking, no, dude, he's got to be 40. That's something where I'm like, okay, that's a big jump. Let's talk about that. If you see him at 69, nice, and you're saying uh, he should be 54, that's more of one where I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's your personal preference. I'm still going to take Andrew Heaney and and you know probably teammate or not teammate. I don't know why I said that. Uh, Joey Luke, uh, and, um, Reynaldo Lopez is who I almost said the teammate thing about. I have Joey Lucchesi up there. You know, 
we know that I'm still a little bit skeptical on Glass now. He did some things with the Rays that definitely have me interested. He's going to be somebody that I continue to monitor, though, because it's become a thing where, you know, Paul's down on Glass now. Let's let's nail him to the wall every time he has a good start and disappear from the Internet every time he has a bad start. No, I'm just teasing. But, uh, no, I'll take that heat. I understand that. I'm going to keep monitoring him. And if I think there's some changes that are sticking – and, and Glass now really does show improvement, I will adjust. I'm not going to be steadfast on a guy and just be wrong to stick to my guns. There's no value in sticking to your guns with this. This is not politics where I have like fundamental uh, you know, beliefs. I'm frankly, and I don't want to take it off in any sort of politics thing, but I think you could be open to moving on that. I know it's called flip-flopping or whatever, but if you get new information and you evolve your thinking, then you could change there. But particularly with fantasy baseball, there's no way I'm going to be pinned to something as new information is always flowing in and guys are are progressing and regressing. I am I'm going to be fluid with things. So I moved Glass now up. I actually, the initial run, I had him even lower. I said, no, no, no. Got to get him top 70. Uh, let's take a look, and I'll do some off-season research on him. I could see him meandering up toward, say, the top 55-ish for me. That's probably going to be the peak of where I can get him going into the off-season as I look and, and kind of you know see where we're at with Tyler Glass now going into next year. Uh, some interesting guys. In the in the mid tiers there that that got some uh, comments, Herman Marquez uh, up to twenty five that surprised me. Uh, I I know it's maybe sounds weird to say you were surprised by your own rankings, bro. Get over yourself. No, I'm just saying like as I was shaking things out, I was surprised that I felt really comfortable putting him top twenty five. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, so I don't want to go too far, but I am bummed about Marquez because I did like him coming into the year. I really did. I drafted him in multiple spots. I was like, you know, this guy's got got the stuff. I think he can he can handle Coors and then succeed big time on the road. And and that's gonna create for a good season. You know, whenever you've got a guy pitching in Colorado, you're hoping that they can just survive there with like a you know 410 ERA and then do some things big things on the road that really push them to that next level. Well, it was awful to start the season Marquez was. By the way, I had him 79th, that was the highest among <clears throat> our consensus rankings, uh 85, 86 and 101 were the other three rankers. Uh so you know, I I I did I did have some backing on that of of liking him, not that I was excessive on it. But then, you know, he took a 514 ERA into July or yeah into July so three months into the season you give a guy three months who pitches half of his games at Coors and you jump off the bandwagon and I don't think you can really be critiqued and I'm not just saying it because it's me you know I tell you guys give it a month give it give it to May 15th try to go through two months with guys that you're committed on that you believe in the skills and heck that's not even always enough time Matt Carpenter <clears throat> and uh, and of course Marquez as well because it was three months and you take a 515, you're just getting blasted every time out. I mean, it wasn't every time out. You know what I'm saying, though. But, like, the bottom line is just getting obliterated. I cut him in an NL only for crying out loud for, Mar- for Marquez. And from July on, he was virtually untouchable. He had one start, did Marquez, where he allowed more than three earned. 
It was a, a, a bumpy one at at Arizona even. It wasn't even course. They got him for six. Five of them earned in five innings at Arizona. The, the start right out of the break. And he still gave you six Ks. But the bottom line in 16 starts was a 257 ERA and 137 strikeouts in 105 innings for Marquez. So he really came together there. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't there to reap the benefits in, in any but one league. One league where I got him back uh, a, a cut and reacquire because he stood out there long enough and you know i decided hey let's let's take another shot here probably as a spot start that turned strong and said let's let's stick on board so yeah i got him top 25 um you know i know people are there's gonna be some folks who are still not comfortable taking a colorado starter top 25 i get that the lowest i would really wait though even if i wanted to start pushing some of the guys up behind him because of of colorado fears or whatever would probably be like 40 that's like the lowest 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 but the strikeout upside i think does cover a lot of the worry for Herman marquez at coors field of course we were saying the same things about john gray coming in this year so i I get it um let's see perennial whipping boy for me kyle hendricks is 26th it's probably still not good enough that's probably 25 rankings too low or 26 rankings too low for cubs fans look man he's a solid pitcher um it's still I will say this, what I'm not going to do is wait until he actually falls off, uh, you know, in two years or three years, whenever it is, because he just keeps going strong and then say, ha, got it right. He's been excellent. 307 ERA, 111 whip for his career. That's 789 innings. He uh, he was struggling a bit into the season this year. And I think the thing of it is, though, is the Cubs fans get really angry about it. And it's not like I ever really dipped him that far let me look at my mid maze because he was struggling and i had him lower as you do but it wasn't even wild let me see where did i have tricks i'm the 35th in mid-may what are they bugging out about maybe it was early may I, I know he dipped further than that and there was some complaining about oh you had him here well you're stupid oh early may 49th for Kyle Hendricks. He was struggling. I was responding to what I was seeing. I was like, okay, here it is. You know, it's finally coming back to get him. Uh, Soft tosser who doesn't do sweet contact, but if the defense doesn't turn it into outs for him, we could see a high threes, low fours ERA with with no Ks. No Ks being relative here. Um, I'm not that impressed. And so it was probably too low. I mean, it, it, it was too low. Um, but I, I eventually moved him back up as the season wore on, so I don't want to hear it. He's 26th. I'm still not going to take him. I'm just, mm, it's a blind spot for me, I guess. I just don't want somebody who throws 87. It's not all velocity. I understand that. But there's just so much reliance on defense. Now, their defense is still going to be good at, with the Cubs. So maybe I will. Maybe I will adjust and, and just take him in a, in a league. And then he'll be terrible. And then that'll be fun when I finally come around on somebody and then they they blow up on my team. That will be cute. Uh, jumping back up to 18, by the way, I'm Walker Buehler up there. I think he's going to be a perennial top 20 or not. Well, yeah, I did mean that, but that's not what I meant to say in this instance. Um, I meant to say that because uh, that just means like every year. I meant to say that uh, everyone, I think, is going to have him in their top 20. And so I think we're, I don't think I'm really out on any sort of limb. I think I'm just ranking him, you know, where where 
everyone else is going to be. Not that I'm being like a follower or whatever. I just, I'm, I'm not pointing it out to say, hey, look at me. I'm taking a big stand here. I was just saying I'm with everyone who's paying attention and believes that Walker Buehler is one of our league's next aces. And uh, I do believe that. Uh, he, he's an absolute monster. I was so impressed. And I know that's weird to say. I was so impressed with an outing where he allowed five runs in five innings. The, the the start in Atlanta, the fact that he bounced back after that disastrous second inning and threw three perfect innings, literally perfect, no hits, no walks, five uh, four strikeouts, is so impressive to me. And, you know, he was left in maybe a little bit too long um, in the game three in the NLCS, ended up giving up four in seven, but he was still pitching well. I, I could have seen taking him out after the sixth when he gave up that run and not bringing him back to the seventh to give up two more, but that's still a good start. And then he was strong in Milwaukee in game seven through four and two thirds and, uh, you know, the uh, seven strikeouts. I mean, he's a stud. Walker Buehler is an absolute stud. Uh, he had stud pedigree coming up. He's already showing it. He's going to be just 24 next year. I know there's some concerns that, uh, you know, the innings are building up. Uh, at, at a pretty quick rate because when you add in the 17 innings in the postseason plus the 137 that he had there so you're looking at 154 when he threw all of or actually hang on plus 16 more because yeah 170 because he threw in the minors but then he threw just 90 last year okay I, I, I get that there's some there's some fair concern there but we know the Dodgers aren't going to just tax him with 200 either but you don't need that in, the, in today's game. That's what I like is that you can be comfortable ranking these guys who you know probably have a cap, like a, a ceiling um, of about 175 coming into the year, you know, and that that's fine because you can be a top 30 starter with 150 brilliant innings. So very, very happy about uh, where Walker Buehler is and, and his development path. And I'm excited about him. Um, I still have Luis Castillo. Hi folks. Uh, that was one of the first comments, you know, that the Luis Castillo hype never dies or something like something to that effect. Yes. I am 31st and I think it's justified. This is not a, Again, this is not a dig my heels in just to try to be right sort of deal. There's no value in that. It is, I see a guy who had a poor start. Um, Hang on, let me me look up the comment, actually. Castillo, learn how to spell Castillo, Paul. Um, Let's see here, show all comments. Where'd Where'd that comment go? Did he put Louise? No. Is it not in there? Hello. Okay, I can't find the comment. I'm an idiot. I don't know where it is. Maybe it was on Twitter. You know what? It could have been on Twitter. Maybe it wasn't a comment in the article. It was on Twitter. Either way, it was something to the effect of like, hey, you're still going for that Castillo love. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't why wouldn't you as as a fantasy baseball player? Because Again, this is uh, on a larger scale of what I was talking about with Bueller about how he got popped in that playoff game, could have easily melted down. They could have easily taken him out because of uh, you know how quick the triggers are, how quick the hooks are in, in playoff baseball. Could have taken him out and said, you know what? You went to, it was a terrible second inning. We'll get it back next time, Tiger. Instead, he rebounded. He was brilliant. Uh, not that the Reds were going to take Castillo out, but this could have just been a full-scale development year where he... You know, meandered through the the summer and didn't really 
figure anything out. It was just a lost year. Instead, he rallied pretty nicely. He had a 585 ERA through June, did Castillo, and put up a 263 in his final 14 starts, 82 innings with 80 strikeouts. Really got the the stuff working again, particularly the uh, the secondary stuff. The changeup was back to being an effective weapon, and well, or or was a heightened effective weapon because I think it was it was pretty solid throughout. It wasn't the changeup's fault that that he, that Castillo had such a poor first half, and in this instance, I'm using first half as a legitimate half of a season uh, through June is first half, July on second half in this case. And I'll, I'll be clear when I'm not talking, when I'm saying the all-star break as the half here. But uh, yeah, it wasn't the changeup's fault. It was just that he wasn't getting to the changeup as much and it could only do so much because the fastball was getting beaten around the yard. Well, the fastball got back on track a bit, opened up the ability for the changeup and slide piece to be more effective and, and do more damage for him. And those two those two pitches, really the fastball changeup was what drove his second half success. And I just loved seeing him finish strong. And the the beauty of that with the uh two what was I say, two sixty five? 263 ERA is that there were some five earned run outings in there too. And you might have been, you know, if you were streaming him, maybe a streamer where he's on your roster uh, uh, reserve to starter as opposed to streaming where you actually cut him. But if you were streaming Castillo and you saw those two fives in, in August, you're like, oh God, here we go again. But if you just stayed the course, you got a brilliant September. He put up five starts. With a 109 ERA and 34 strikeouts in 33 innings. So, yeah, I'm not going anywhere on Castillo. In fact, neither's the market, though. Uh, in the two early mocks, he was still going uh, right in line with, with what he was last year, really. Like, there was almost no discount. Let me pull up the numbers right now, real quick. The Google Doc takes a second to load. So, I'm going to take a drink while we're doing that. Uh, pardon me. If you've listened to the solos, you know I, I take drinks. I'm I'm on the internet typing, so it's a it's a little bit different than than the ones with uh, with Justin or Nick. But uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy them. All right, scrolling down here, let's see where my boy Castillo went. And he was. I mean, there's so much amazing information in this document that it takes a while to load. Okay. Pick one seventeen on at one eighteen on average, and uh, I actually got him at one ten in in my league, and I was not the highest. There was an eighty nine and a ninety two. League three got a huge discount. They had him at one sixty three. Good luck getting that. I mean, there's no chance if you're in my league. But uh, guess who was literally almost the exact same ADP because they, they do it by the um, to the what is that the tenth. The, the one decimal there, 117.3, 117.6, that's Herman Marquez and Luis Castillo. And if I get both with an ace in tow with like a, a you know bona fide top 15 type of guy, and then those two, whew, set me up, let's go. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Castillo's going to have much of a discount, and I'm here for it. I don't believe that he nece- that he really should. If you can get it anywhere, that's great, but I don't really think you're going to get it, so don't plan on anything. There were a lot of questions on the Dodgers uh, because I did rank. How many of them did I rank? Let's see. You can sort, by the way. Uh, you can sort by name. Not that I know. think you'd really want to, but you can sort by team and then just put it back to the ranking thing. So that way you can see 
um, how many people were ranked on a particular team. I think that's kind of useful there. So one, two, three, four, five, six. I ranked six Dodgers. I ranked, um, wait, where's Kirsch? Oh, free agent. Hello. I, I think he's probably going to end up back with them, but I yeah, I believe they said he's going to opt out. Um, and so I did put F.A. with a question mark next to him and Hamels because they might opt out, whereas the other guys that are going to be set free agents, um, they, they got F.A. just regular. But uh, of the Dodgers that we know are going to be there, I had Bueller, 18, uh, Ross Stripling, 35, Rich Hill, 42, Kenta Maeda, 50, Alex Wood, 65, and Julio Urias, Urias, uh, 78. And so that's six right there, not to mention if they bring back Kershaw. I understand that muddies up the waters a bit, but again, it goes back to my point about how they don't need to have a ton of innings to be successful, uh, or not to be successful, but to be um, a top whatever, top 50 guy. You don't have to have 180 innings. To be a top 20 guy, you you don't even need that if they're good enough innings. So I believe in these guys. Um, The two that got questions in particular were Stripling and Maeda because people were worried about what uh, I think Nick terms as Dodgeritis, which is, you know, maneuvering the the rotation a whole bunch, you know, putting guys on the DL for bumps and bruises here, basically to give them a breather and let somebody else get a few starts, moving them between the bullpen and rotation. I know Maeda was in, in particular in the bullpen quite a bit. I mean, so was Stripling, really. I really love Ross Stripling. He was probably the one I took, I took a little bit of a, a stand on as far as marking him there at, at 35th. I want to see where he went in the two early mocks. Let's see. He was pick 157.9, and and yet I was ready to take him. And I actually ended up taking Castillo because Stripling was trumped for me at 109, which was far and away the highest. Dr. Mike Tanner um, jumped me. And it was crazy because I think I mentioned this on the pod with, with Justin before, but I was just talking on the phone with Jeff uh, Zimmerman about some things. And we randomly, you know, you start talking about something work-related about, you know, when he's going to post this article or whatever. And you invariably start talking about players just randomly and just shooting the shit about baseball. And we were talking about Stripling and and how much we both really liked him. I was like, oh, yeah, me too, dude. I think I'm going to take him in my too early mock. And hang up the phone. Literally, 60 seconds later, he was taken. So Dr. Mike Tanner tapped that phone call i will not believe anything else that had to be what happened and took him from me uh but otherwise he was going 158 178 232 134 128 152 so we don't have to pay the price that that tanner and i were willing to pay um but i am going to be drafting ross stripling well well, i think his adp could bounce up if there's more clarity that he's going to have a rotation spot to start the season. But this is a guy whose talent I just really like. I know he kind of wore down a bit as the season went. That's kind of understandable, but he has such a depth of arsenal with four pitches that he can really uh, rely on. Well, three pitches that he can really rely on and then a changeup that still needs work. But I really like what Ross Stripling was able to do this year. Didn't walk guys, uh, got plenty of strikeouts, had a strong swinging strike rate to back it. He'd been doing good things out of the bullpen in 74 innings in 2017 too. So it wasn't a completely out of nowhere. It's just that it came primarily as a starter. That was the surprising factor. There's still a little bit of a home run issue and he's not a young guy. He's going to be 29 next year. So it is a late bloomer, but I think that's, those factors are going to keep the price down to where you're not going to have to pay an exorbitant cost. Uh, even though Tanner and I were willing to pay a pretty 
pretty penny there at uh, 109 or 110 if I'd have gotten him. Uh, we don't have to. So that was us maybe taking a stand or thinking that we had to jump him there. I mean, he made the right pick in terms of if he valued him there and he was ready to go, it was the right pick because I was going to take him next for Stripling. But now that we see how the two early mocks went, he and I can both back off and, and probably take him another two rounds later uh, at the very least and maybe even more in some leagues. But I really like what Ross Stripling's able to do. And I'm not ranking based on where I think he should go. Um, I'm ba- ranking him based on how I like him and when I'm ready to take him. So I, I, I like him at 35 there for Stripling. Maeda, very similar uh, pretty much across the board in terms of how I feel in, in that he's not super young. He's going to be 31 next year. Obviously, he came over from Japan, and and so he was he was ready made, ready to go. Obviously, had that quirky contract where it ended up being a lot cheaper because of some of the injury concerns. And of course, we've seen them limit his innings as a result because they want to keep him healthy. But even if he gets you know 140 innings of quality work. I think it'll be high quality, and uh, so I really like what Kent Maeda is able to do. So even if it is a little bit of swingman sort of deal, I, I'm I'm willing to take him. And so 50, I didn't think was was too crazy for what I liked on Maeda. And we'll see what happens with Alex Wood, Julio Urias. Urias is really interesting because I mean, you talk about Bueller as having ace potential. Urias, people had him even much higher in terms of their their outlook and that's not a shade on Bueller it's just a prop to prop up Urias because of um just the expectations for him at what he was doing at age 19 in the majors uh holding his own and then that shoulder capsule terrifying yeah so but the fact that he was able to finish the season on the field and in the playoffs is very encouraging, and he's so young that hopefully this injury doesn't completely derail him. So a 22-year-old Julio Urias is going to be a lot of fun for people to draft because I don't think he's going to cost a ton. I'm not sure there's much that could happen in the offseason that would really elevate his cost to something where you wouldn't want to um, pay for it. I'm looking right now. I don't think he went in any of the two early mocks. Now, some of them didn't get to finish, but mine almost completely finished, and... He didn't go, so that's really surprising to me. I'm trying to see if maybe it's just taking forever to search. Hang on, I think it was. No, it's it found his name, but he didn't go. Julio, I, I struggle with this name. I probably said it four different times every time. Urias, Urias, that's what it says on Baseball Reference. That's what I'm going with, Julio Urias. Um, but he's a stud. I, I still think there's some stud potential there. I really like what he's able to do. Definitely a late late flyer, low dollar cost. Take the gamble on him and see if you can get some goodness out of him. I ranked him 78th. Um, I could see some folks even ranking him higher. And maybe he escalates a little bit. Probably can't get him higher than, say, top 60 for me. That'd be, that'd be about the peak, peak, peak. And you'd probably have to have a rotation spot locked coming into the season for me to want to do that. All right, looking at some other folks here. Let's see. Carlos Martinez got some chatter. Uh, some folks were actually saying I, maybe too low at 32, which was interesting to me because I, I love Carlos Martinez. I was trying to temper myself a little bit and not be too aggressive and say, okay, let me let me just be smart uh, because he had a little bit of a wonky season and ending it in the bullpen, only had 18 starts, then ended up uh, even closing and I mean, he could be a stud closer. The skills waned a little bit, but they got back on track a bit in the bullpen. 
so it was a really interesting year for him. He still had some walk issues even when he was relieving. Let me see. He put up a 147 ERA with 19 strikeouts and 18 in the third, but did walk 11. So we're not out of the woods completely. I'm still com- I'm comfortable with this ranking. It was encouraging that some people were saying, oh, I could have seen him even higher because they're, you know, they're still really bullish on him, uh, on Carlos Martinez. I am as well. I'm probably still going to stick in this range. I think the highest I'm probably bumping him would be mid to late 20s, which is not too much. I did have both Michaelis and Flaherty ahead of him right now. Uh, After I do further analysis on that team, maybe I jumble those three a little bit, but that's 24 for Michaelis, 29 for Flaherty, 32 for Martinez. They're all very close together, Um, and I think that's that's how I'm going to go with it with those three. Um, Let's see. Nathan Eovaldi is earning himself money with with quality playoff performances he's going to be a free agent we'll see how he does in the world series um and i put him at 36 i mean if you've been following my work for a long time then you know my obsession with nathan Evaldi. i've been waiting i've been waiting for him to put things together and it's nice to see that he that he did this year. We're really strong, 111 inning campaign. Um, well, obviously a little bit short on innings because of health. And innings have never really been his thing. He's topped 150 just twice. One was only 154, but the other was a 200 inning season back in 2014. But it wasn't very good. It was 437 ERA, 133 WHIP with no strikeouts. He's finally figured out how to turn that electric arsenal and a deep one, by the way. Uh, there's some depth to his arsenal now with some different pitches that that he's been able to put together. But there's a depth of arsenal with that cutter, splitty, uh, going with the blazing heat and slider to get some strikeouts finally. It's about time. And we've always known that velocity alone doesn't get you strikeouts, but he was just such living proof of like, because everyone would say, well, why didn't he have more strikeouts? Why does he give up so many hits? Because it was straight as an arrow, man. It was just, it was not a very good fastball, despite popping the radar gun. And he was just a great example of why velocity doesn't equal success. And we talk about that a lot, but it's nice to have, it had a perfect case to point to and say, see, this is what we're talking about. But he really trimmed the walks, tuned up the strikeout rate to a career best 22%. I mean, as long as he's getting something like that, 21 to 23 is fine, right? In that range, I can deal with that um, with everything else because, I mean, I think it could tune it up even further. But as is there, I'll take that with Nathan Eovaldi. Uh He was at 24% with the Rays. He dipped down a little bit with the with the Red Sox, down back to 21%. But he really curbed his home runs with them as well. Like I said, been doing some things in the playoffs, probably garnering some attention, uh, two big starts, and, and a relief appearance for 14 innings, 14 and a third with 10 strikeouts, just two walks, giving him a 188 ERA and a .98 whip. We'll see how he does in the World Series. Eager to see where he lands. I am generally cautious on guys first year in a big deal. We'll see how big the deal is. Um, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be to the level of like, hey, you're being brought in to be our ace. And those are usually the ones that worry me a bit. But we'll see where he goes. Anyway, uh, so before I freak out on that one way or the other, I want to see where Eovaldi lands. Um, let's see. Somebody did ask, going back, going way down in the list, why is Lucas Giolito even on this list? And I had him at 86. And then I did kind of look at his end-of-season numbers. I'm like, that's a pretty fair question. Maybe he doesn't need to be. Because I mentioned that you know the, the top 100 is obviously an arbitrary cutoff. And then there is um, you know another... 
heck, 20, 20 guys that I could have easily and did have in because I've been I was finagling the list like so much before posting it, putting this guy up, this guy, this guy here. So I'm looking now. Let's see, probably about, um, yeah, about even 25 guys that could have feasibly gotten a spot in that last 10 to 15 rank there that I that I opted not to. Some of them are just kind of crusty vets, like a Wei Yin Chen, Tanner Roark, Boring, whatever. Some of them are are up and comers who are interesting. Fernando Romero. Um, I think Yanni Chirinos is kind of interesting. Brett Honeywell coming back from Tommy John, guys like that, that I, that could have gotten in there. I put Giolito in there. I think I was remembering some of those quality outings that he had down the stretch, but then he he then erased a lot of that good work by I think finishing horribly, if I recall correctly. I'm bringing up his game log right now, and and I answered just quite frankly, that's a pretty that's a fair question. Why the hell is he on this list? Because, yeah, he ended terribly. He had that that August run where Giolito put up a 386 ERA because he, even that, he can't even have nice things. Even in the midst of that with five really strong starts of uh, five straight, or not, they weren't straight, but five quality starts, even with that, he crapped on it with a seven earned run outing. So he still only ended up with a 386 ERA. But I was like, okay, I think I was still remembering that and kind of forgetting that he ended the season with a 927 ERA in September. So I think I'm actually going to take him off the next update. I'm not going to address this. People have looked at this. I don't want to go back and change it. Um, you know, I would, I'll do a rerun soon. Uh, let's say maybe around Thanksgiving after a bunch of research. Obviously, nothing's going to change um, as far as performance, a couple guys are going to perform in the World Series, but there there'll probably be some moves and uh, and and just more analysis on my end, and then I will I will do another assessment there, and I'm going to take him off because I think that that was a very a very good question. He does not belong on there. Lucas Giolito, don't take Lucas Giolito. Um, there's no reason to right now. A dollar maybe in your AL only, but beyond that, nah. All right, I'm going to close talking about a few of these guys on the back end of the list that I am intrigued by, that they don't really necessarily have a spot, but I want to see. One guy there might be a little tinge of recency bias, although I don't want to just slough it off as that because that just suggests that I only saw him do well in the playoffs and and like discovered he was a thing. I know who the heck Brandon Woodruff was before the playoffs, but it definitely, uh, you know, added to what I I know of him through his prospect status, but he also had a pretty good regular season. He put up 42 innings of quality work, mostly out of the bullpen with a 27% strikeout rate, 361 ERA, 118 whip, and then was a monster in the playoffs for for the Brewers. I think there's a chance that that he starts for them next year. So I, I rated him uh, 90-something. Let me see. It was 88th. So I put Brandon Woodruff 88th. Now they have an interesting setup there because I don't know exactly what they're going to do. They have a lot of routes they could go because another young buck that they have that I also put in in the list there at the back end, 95th, Freddie Peralta. And, you know, you remember he did some good things this year that had him as a hot waiver pickup for a while uh, back and forth. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do with the uh, – let me, let me sort by team here to take a look at all the guys I raked for them. Because there's some I didn't that were kind of close as well to some of the boring ones. But I got Peralta, Woodruff. I got Chassin at 72. I got Jimmy Nelson at 82. Don't forget him coming back. All of a sudden, they, and, and then Chase Anderson and, and Kyle Davies, or uh, excuse me, Zach Davies, who I didn't rank. 
they were just they're right there. There are a couple of those boring guys that are just right there. Corbin Burns is is in a Woodruff scenario too, uh, where he did some good things out of the bullpen. He could finagle his way in. But I really like Woodruff and and Nelson. Those are probably my two favorites out of out of what they've got and guys that I'm going to invest in because I don't think the price is going to be too high. Don't forget what Jimmy Nelson did two years ago. He hurt himself, I think, diving back in on a pickoff play and busted up his shoulder that, that wrecked and cost him the entire year this year. But he had a 27% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate, 349 ERA and 125 whip back in uh, 2017 for 175 innings. So he did some really good things there. I really like what he's able to do. And then again, Woodruff just had a really strong uh, playoff after a, a, a nice 42-inning bout as primarily a reliever. So I'm, I'm interested in a couple of, the, of those guys. Last guy I'm going to talk about right now, uh, Joshua James. I'm saying Joshua because that's what his name is on the website. Uh, I think it just goes by Josh James, but we haven't shortened it here. So I'm, I'm, I'm in between there. I, th- I don't know if I've ever told this story uh, on the podcast, but I have a friend whose name is Joshua. And, you know, you meet somebody, you hear their name, sometimes they give you the long name, and then you, you shorten it. You can't do that with Joshua. Because I remember I met him. Hi, my name's Joshua. I, you know, okay, that's how you introduce himself. I should call him that. I didn't, though. I said, oh, yeah, uh, I guess Josh and Jeff are going to come in. He goes, Joshua. And he, like, corrected me. Just, like, nothing too mean or whatever. Just did it again another time down the road. I said, Josh, Joshua. And... It was just, it was a thing and it stuck out to me because it was the first time that 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 had ever happened where it's like, hey, I told you what my name was. It's Joshua. Don't shorten it, you clown. And uh, his mom was very serious about that. She's like, I named him Joshua. You know what? That's fair. When I was younger and I was in college, I pushed back against it like, okay, who the freak cares? As I I, uh, grow older and, and realize... It wasn't that bad of a thing to push back against. Anyway, I bring that up just because I'm talking about Josh James, Joshua, um, and I don't know which way he wants to go. I think he's been on TV as Josh James. That's how he's talked about in all sorts of things. But then I see Joshua on our site. I don't know. But he's a flamethrower who had a breakout season this year, really did some big things in the minors, tearing up double and triple A, comes up 23 innings of quality work out of the bullpen and um, rotation, split three and three, three starts, three relief appearances, 235 ERA, .96 whip, 32% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. They're going to lose Keuchel and Morton to free agency. And if they don't bring either of them back, you're looking at Verlander, Cole, McCullers, maybe Forrest Whitley, maybe moving Brad Peacock back in, maybe James. Like that, They've got some openness there. I don't know that he's necessarily going to get to, going to get a spot, but I'm going to speculate on, on James. And I'm going to go ahead and get some shares on the cheap because I do think he's somebody who uh, could really pan out. And so I'm, I'm very eager about what James is able to do. He only went in three of the mocks. Um, he, well, actually, he did go auto in a few. So what happened was, and they're not true auto picks where somebody wasn't paying attention. The, the two early mocks ended the day the season ended because they were technically 2018 leagues. And so we couldn't keep drafting, so, but they would still run in the background. Like we couldn't access the site, but they were still doing the eight hour timer and just picking. So he still got picked in four of those leagues, but I'm only going to read the three, three that Josh James was taken um, by somebody cognizantly. And it was 246, 251, 255. I think that will jump up, 
but I can't even really see him getting too higher, too much higher than say top 200. And at that cost, I'm going to take that shot. Let me go look up near 200 and see which starters are there. You got guys like uh, Carlos Rodon at 197, Cole Hamels at 204. Um, there's actually a lot of hitters here, so it's not uh, Jake Arrieta at 209. You know, interesting veterans there, and then a younger guy like Rodon. That's the highest I could see James getting. I don't think he's going to get too crazy and and start going top two, you know, inside the top two hundred. But I really like what Josh James showed this year, both in the minors and majors. I think he's got the potential to be really interesting next year. Has a changeup that's that's already strong, and I love that out of a young arm. So the twenty six year old Josh James next year could be somebody to uh, really change seasons with uh, with the Astros. All right, that's going to wrap it up there for episode 609. I do appreciate you guys listening. If you have comments about the top 100, definitely put them here. Also put them on the article, though. If you want to go to the article and and leave the comments, I would really appreciate that because I love responding to those there. So that would be great as well. And I think uh, Justin and I should be back for the podcast on Friday as scheduled. And I'll talk to you all later. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy baseball league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Download SquadQL for free for your Apple and Android devices. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup each day based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. How does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster, your league scoring system. The app also provides waiver wire recommendations, daily updates to player rankings, and much more. Head to the Apple app or Google Play stores to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy baseball manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy Lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android.